Evening, church. Can we just give another hand to Rafa because it's his first time being the MC. And one of the victories that we celebrate at Oikos Church is when I like, I like to see people try new things and putting their hands up for new things. And, and I love that. That's a victory for me. Now, it's, it's good to be back with you all. If you guys haven't known, I've, I, was, I was in holiday back in Brisbane and, and to visit my family. And during that time of my holiday, as I was doing devotions, I, I stumbled upon this story, which is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can follow it on screen because this is where our sermon will be based tonight. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And during my devotional time, as I was flipping through and and reading my Bible, as I stumbled upon this story... It never fails and never ceases to captivate, captivate me. I was just arrested by the story. And as I was reading it, I was reading it again and again. And you know what happened? I was crying for 30 minutes straight. I, was, I just cried like a baby on my grandma's sofa. I was just reading the story and I was just crying. And I felt strongly today that I'm to preach from this passage. And now I know I, I preach from this passage before, if you were here at the very second week at Oikos. But I believe sometimes we don't need a new argument. We don't need a new point. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the gospel and how much he loves us. And if you're ready, church, would you travel back in time with me to witness this scene? You find yourselves in a bustling, well-lit banquet hall. There's a live band and you're standing here amongst a large crowd that got here early just to enjoy the ambience. Now, as this party progressed, you realize the space is getting smaller and smaller. It's getting ridiculously cramped. People are now jammed and they're squished against the wall and people are breathing on each other's necks. And there's other people at the window peering in and they're looking at a table at the very center of the room. It's a little large table, coffee height. On it, there was so much food, appetizers, main courses, fruit and bubble tea. You wish you wanted to be there. And at one end of the table, you see it's, it's the host of the night. It's the owner's house. It, he's, he's Simon the Pharisee. And as you look at the, all the other important guests that is reclining at the table where one hand they are leaning forward while the other hand is using to pick, eat food and their legs are sprawled behind their feet, they are exchanging pleasantries. And it's almost seemed like these guys are all sucking up to this Simon the Pharisee. After all, he is a man in power and he is influential in his community. But at the opposite end, it's the seat of honor. But what you find is strange is because it almost seemed like everyone else around the table is ignoring this man who's sitting on the seat of honor. And before you know it, you feel a push and a little shove and you turn around, it's it's a woman. And as she wiggles herself through the crowd, as she comes and enters the no-go zone, which was the table, we're like, we're allowed to be around the perimeters, but we're actually not allowed to go to the table. But she enters and goes towards the table, right towards the man who had the seat of honor. 
And what happens is she just starts crying. She just starts bawling her eyes out. And everyone at the table noticed this and they stopped their conversations. The live band also stopped playing their music. And the crowd stops their murmuring. And in this great big hall, this banquet hall, it was silence. And all you could hear was the whimpering cries of this lady. What's going on? Before we find out what's going on, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you that you are here. And in moments like these, as we open up your word, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit open our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. We pray for understanding and, and to look at this, this passage afresh. May we never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Follow along with me in Luke. The author Luke records this event near the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's just starting out, but he's quickly gaining fame. And there's reason to that because he's doing miracles after miracles. He's going around town, driving out evil spirits. People are getting set free from demonic attrition, garnering public recognition. He starts healing people left, right and center. And there was even a widow's son who died, but he raised again to life. And so we can imagine that the crowd is very interested in him. And of course, Jesus caught the attention of the upper echelons of society back in those days, which were the Pharisees. And unlike how we read the Bible today, because we, we all view that the Pharisees are the bad guys. But no, no, they were well respected back in that time. Why? Because they were the epitome of purity. They followed the law of Moses to a T. The title Pharisees literally means set apart ones or the, the holy ones. And there was this particular Pharisee named Simon. And he asked Jesus to come over to his house to have dinner with him. Now, the author Luke does not mention why or the reason why Simon invited Jesus to his house. But we're pretty sure when we read the text that it wasn't that this Pharisee felt a deep sense and need of a savior. No, no. We find out through the way that he treats Jesus in this dinner event. Because in a typical banquet event for an honored guest, the norm would be you, as they enter your door, you would pour olive oil on their head as a sign of respect. But when Jesus shows up, there was no pouring of oil. Also, when people come to your house, or if it's a friend, you will give them a kiss on the cheek. But yet, when Jesus came to the house, he received no kiss of friendship and of peace. The basic courtesy of this society was when people walk on the road of Jerusalem, their sandals can get covered in dirt and muck and mud and things that look like mud, but it's actually animal droppings. As they come towards your house, they don't want to enter your doors with their dirty feet. And so as basic courtesy, you would offer some water for them to wash their feet. But yet as Jesus enters this house, he is offered no water. So in doing so, what Simon is stating, and he's being very clear, hey, hey, Jesus, I'll bring you to my house. I invite you as the guest of honor, but you know what? I'm not going to honor you because I'm here to evaluate you. And let me make things real clear. You're not the authority in my life. You're not someone that I admire. You're not my friend. You're not even worth me paying minimal social politeness towards you. 
And so Simon withholds the respect, he withholds the friendship, and he withholds the basic courtesy standards of that day. And before we get all judgy on Simon, maybe some of us treat Jesus like this. Maybe some of us have invited Jesus into our lives, but yet he's not the ruler. He's not the sovereign of our lives because we still make the choices. He's not sitting on the ruling chair. No, no, he's just a part of the furniture somewhere. Instead of treating him as Lord, we treat him as mere decoration. That's why some of us can sin. We, there's no resistance to it. We just plunge head in. We click that website without even thinking. We lie without thinking. We go to places that is not too good. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then a woman enters the stage. And who is the exact opposite of Simon. And it's not like she crashed this party uninvited. It, it was totally common back then when you have a banquet of this caliber is when you have a, a, a foreign rabbi or a foreign teacher, a, a guest teacher somewhere. And what happens is the local rabbi or the local teacher will invite this foreign rabbi to his house. And what happens is it, it's to evaluate this rabbi. Because there was no Instagram and there was no live streaming back in those days. How to make sure people know that you're who you're hanging out with. It's what Simon would have done is he would have got his servants to go around and spread the news around the neighborhood. Hey, hey, this Jesus, he's coming to my house. You can come. And so what would happen is this event would turn out like a, a host TV show where the host will interview a celebrity. So it's, it's, it's almost like your Jimmy Kimmel or your Jimmy Fallon or your Oprah Winfrey type of shows. It was the entertainment of that day because there was no internet. There was no Foxtel. There was no Netflix. This was it. And so what would people be allowed to do is they would be allowed to sit on the floors or lean on the walls to listen in. Not to eat the meal per se, but to spectate. They were allowed to watch but they're by no means invited to the table. And then the author introduces this woman. He says, behold, behold, a woman of the city. And when he uses this word behold, he's, he's raising and flagging here. He's, he's like, hey, hey some, give some attention. May I have your attention, please? Because this woman is entering, behold, now, it's not weird that a woman enters a house. No, no. What is weird is a woman of this caliber enters this house. And it says that she was a woman of the city. And this is just a nice first century Jerusalem way of saying that she was someone promiscuous who had bad reputation or in other words, she was a prostitute. This prostitute enters this Pharisees' house. They're worlds apart. One is the epitome of holiness and one is a sinner. But she still enters this house. Why? Maybe she's heard of Jesus somewhere. Maybe she've, she's sat in on one of Jesus' preachings. Maybe saw his miracle. But she realizes that this Jesus is different. 
Word on the street is that he's so welcoming. And maybe she had this hope within her and this little spark of fire reignites within her soul that was extinguished long ago that maybe, maybe God can love someone like me. And when she knows that Jesus is in town reclining at this certain Pharisee's house, she clutches her perfume bottle, her jar, and she walks into the house. And Luke slows down the narrative. And in one verse, verse 38, we see six verbs. Now she does not say a word, but all of her actions speaks for her. Standing behind him, weeping, wetting his feet with his, her tears, wiping his feet with her hair. She kissed them and she poured perfume on them. What, what just happened? As she pushed and shoved and wiggled her way through the crowd just to get a glimpse of the man that she's been hearing so good about. As she finally sees him, and as she continues to walk closer and closer to him, as she sees him face to face, as she got closer, she saw the details that were left on his feet. And she starts crying. And she starts weeping. And when Luke used this term weeping, it wasn't like, like she, she kind of choked up. No, no, no. It was like, Rain poured down, dripping, soaking his feet wet. And then she does what was bizarre, even in that culture, is that she did something so unmodest that she unbound her hair and let her hair down. Which at this, the crowd would have gasped in the banquet because back in that culture, you would only let your hair down to the man that you marry. Yet she unbounds her hair and she wipes his feet. And the Apostle Paul goes to say a woman's hair is her glory. It is her crown. But, but she just unbinds that in front of everyone to see. And she uses her glory as rags for his feet. And the Pharisee Simon, when he noticed this, he thought to himself, man, if Jesus was really a prophet, so he's, he's assuming now, his evaluation of Jesus is, if you were really a prophet, Jesus, you would know exactly who this woman is. Because all of us townsfolks know who this woman is. And I've, I don't know if the disciples were there and, and thinking, Jesus, you know who she is? She's that woman that we were been talking about. She's the talk of town. But no, that doesn't happen. And he's just thinking to himself, if you were really a prophet, you would know. You would sense her dirtiness. You'd be scared of, of this filth, of this trash. You wouldn't let her anywhere near you. You wouldn't even let the scenario play out. And he's thinking in his mind, it's because she's continuing to touch him. And he's like, ugh. In today's terms, he would be thinking, Jesus, she's not invited to the table. She's not in the righteous club. This is first class. She is in cattle class. Jesus, if this was the Titanic, she'd be in the lower deck and we're in the upper deck. She needs to know her place. She's not welcomed here. And Jesus, if you were a prophet, you would know that. And in verse 40, the irony is that Jesus answers the Pharisees thinking. 
He thinks that Jesus can't be a prophet. This is an internal conversation that he's having with himself in his head. But Jesus answers that, therefore proving the power that this Pharisee thinks that Jesus does not have. And Jesus critiques this question in his heart. And Jesus says, and it, Simon, I got something to say to you. What is it, teacher? And Jesus starts telling this story. There was two people. Both were in debt to this debt collector. But one owned a huge sum, but the other owned a much lesser sum. They both couldn't pay their debt on the due dates. And so their master decided to clear both debts. Now, Simon, which one do you think would love his master more? And Simon says, uh, clap your hands now. And Simon says, I guess, suppose the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus says, you're right. You're right. Now, what does that all mean? Cool story, bro, but what does that all mean? What Jesus is trying to tell Simon is, you too need a savior. If we can use the example of the Titanic again, it doesn't matter if you belong to the lower deck or the upper deck. Once this ship hits an iceberg, you know what? You both need to be rescued. It does not matter. Jesus both saves the religious and the rebel. And this example he uses that is back in those times, if you could not pay your debt, what happens is you will end up in jail, which was a death sentence in itself because jail back then and jail now is very different. Jail now, I don't know what the taxpayers are doing, but, but they're like, they get like movies, they can work in jail. Like jail is almost a cool place for some people. But jail back then was a death sentence. There was no toilet bowl. There was, people would often die, rot, and just get sick by all the diseases in jail. And so these two debtors, these two who had debts, if they could not pay on time, they would end up in jail, which in other words, they would have died. That was a death sentence for them. And Jesus is saying, you both have death. You're both going to die. And what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how much debt you are in when you have nothing to pay and when you can't pay, the end result is the same. It doesn't matter how you live your life, if it's good and moral or if it's bad and immoral. Everyone sins and the wages of sin is death. And I always use this example to help you understand that more. Let's say you were sleeping. You're always sleeping, and one night a spider, insequency spider, crawls up your leg and into your arms and bites your hand. And instead of turning into Spider-Man, you just die. Or another example. You are sleeping, and then a feline beast comes into your house, let's say a black panther, and it mauls at your throat. Now, who is more deader? Yes, one is pretty dead and the other one is ugly dead, but they're both dead. That's what Jesus is coming to. You're both dead. You're both in need of a savior. You both need to have your debts forgiven. And then the Bible says that Jesus looks towards the woman, 
but speaks to Simon. And he goes down a list of courtesies that this woman has shown him. When the banquet etiquette was not met, I came into your house and you gave me no water for your feet. You're a religious leader, right, Simon? You know the law. You know that any guest comes into your house, you are to give them water for their feet. Now this woman, she had no water, but the time that she came, she used her tears to wet my feet. This woman didn't have a towel, and she, so she used her hair to wipe my feet. In our traditional customs, Simon, when a guest enters your house, you give them a kiss. Yet I receive no kiss, but yet this woman, from the time that she was here, has continually kissed my feet and continually do so. You should have used olive oil to anoint me as I came. But this woman did not have that, and so she used her jar of perfume and anointed my feet. Now what she was displaying was a very costly love. A love that cost. Now why was it expensive? The Bible says that she came with a jar of perfume and specifically an alabaster jar. A little bottle with a long thin neck that you can wear as an accessory, as you can wear as a necklace. And on this bottle is these little holes where the fragrance will come out. Now why did this woman have a jar of perfume? Why was she wearing a jar of perfume? Maybe because the trade and the job that she's in, there's nothing better to use your money on than something that will make you smell desirable to try to mask the stench of all the men that you've been with. And the Bible says she pours the whole jar onto Jesus' feet. Now, this is impossible because the jar just has these little tiny miniature holes to, to let the, the fragrance come out. It's not possible unless she snaps the neck of this bottle. And when she does that, this thing becomes a one-time use. Once she snaps that, that is it. And she lavishes it upon Jesus' feet. Why? Because he knows that he is worthy and that he deserves What Jesus is saying to Simon is, yes, Simon, I know exactly who this woman is, where she's been, who she's been with. And frankly, son, you can learn a thing or two with her because the reality is, Simon, your heart's cold towards me. Because you think that you aren't that bad. But this woman, she knows the weight of her sin and she also knows the value of her saviour. Therefore, I declare to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. And at this, everyone's confused. Who, who's this who, who, who could forgive sin? In the story, there was two debtors. And there's a money lender. Both debts were forgiven. And now they love them, master, the money lender. Now, in the reality of the example, she is a sinner. She sinned against God. She has debts towards God. But now she's forgiven, and now she loves Jesus. What does that logic mean? 
what Jesus is claiming here is, I am in the position of God. I am in the position of the money lender. I am God. That's what Jesus is claiming. That's why I can forgive your debts. I can forgive your sins. But maybe we think, oh, that's, that's unfair. How can you just forgive her debts? How can you forgive her past, her sins like that? How can you forgive her sins? And her how can she go off scot-free? And I'll tell you how. It's because he was about to be the payment. He's not here to give prep talks. He's not here to help us clean up our acts. Whenever a debt is incurred, payment has to be made. For example, my little sister once borrowed my Bose headphones. And within 10 minutes, she dropped it. I pads hit it and it broke. 10 minutes. I'm like, Dow, what are you doing? <laughs> now I had two choices. I could have said, thanks, that would be $200 you pay me. Or, that's okay. And as a good big brother, I said, it's okay. But guess what? It doesn't make the headphone come back to life. It doesn't fix the headphone because I forgave. Oh, look, it's, it's all good. No, 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 no. We're still, we're headphone down. <laughs> when I say it's okay, you're forgiven. I bear the cost. I bear the cost. So the people may ask, how can he forgive sin? It's because he was about to be the payment, the perfect unblemished lamb of God who knew no sin to become sin for our sake so that we will be presented the righteousness of God. Taking all our guilt, taking all our shame, taking all our mess, taking all our wrongs, our errors, our condemnation, our wrath, our judgment and our death. And he says, I will bear with it. I will bury it, but I will raise again and death will be defeated. And you will be with me if you trust me. I will save you from us. You don't need to wallow over it for I have set you free and whom I set free will be free indeed. Your debts have been paid because I'm the payment. Church, if you understand this, this gospel, it will change you in throughout. It will produce in you a love that is great, that is much. It will produce in you worship and you cannot help it. And let's pause here. Because maybe you heard the story before and you hate this story. Why? Because you, you're, you're thinking of that line, whoever is forgiven, given much, loves much. And maybe some of you have a problem with this because Dexter, I grew up in Sunday school. I didn't do drugs. I didn't live a wild life. I didn't go to the clubs. I was in church Sunday school. I was saved from coloring books. I, my spare time, I used it to, to memorize Bible verses. I sang these little Jesus songs and I did Bible quizzes. Dexter, I'm doomed to not love Jesus much because I was forgiven so little. And if you think that way, you have totally missed the point. You missed the point. The problem with the Pharisee is not that he didn't sin enough. 
But Jesus was pointing out his pride and his self-righteousness. You can be lost in the pews of the church more so than when you're lost in the streets. The problem, the problem is not sin committed, it's sin realized. The problem is not sin committed, it's sin realized. Because maybe, maybe when Jesus was telling this story, Simon, you might have well been the person that had and incurred the larger debt. But you just don't realize it. So church, when you realize the cost of your sins and the cost of his love for you, until sin is bitter, Christ won't be sweet. Until you understand the severity of your sin, you would not know the greatness of God's grace until you know that your sin costs God his very son. Until you understand that, you would not know how precious you are. And as we come to a close, and as I invite the band to come up, as we ready ourselves for the Holy Communion, may we reflect on his love that is displayed in this story. It was a costly love. And my goal for you tonight is, is just to help you give a healthy, for you to have a healthy understanding of your sin but also understand how great is your salvation. Sin is a big deal, but your Savior is a better deal. This is how much God hates sin. It requires the death of His Son. And God in His love sacrificed His Son for you. So how much did it cost God? It was your sin. It was my sin that nailed Him to that tree. How can it be that my King would die for me to set me free? Yes, this woman have wept and used her tears to, to clean her Saviour's feet. Yet it was her Saviour that used His blood dripped down from the cross to clean this woman's soul. This woman had no towel and so she unbinds her hair, which was her crown, her glory, her honour, and she uses that to dry the feet of her Saviour, her King. Yet it was her king that gives up his crown of life, but in return takes the crown of thorns and presenting her as the righteousness of God while he incurs her sin. This woman broke her alabaster jar of perfume, but it was her saviour's body that was broken so that she could be made whole, that she could be healed. This woman poured out her perfume. Yet it was her Saviour that poured out His life for the forgiveness of all. This is the beauty of the story. Is when this woman comes uninvited to Simon's house, to Simon's table. As she got to Jesus, as she finally meets face to face with Jesus, she didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to say. And all she could do was weep. Can you just imagine? Jesus, I, Jesus, I, it's okay, daughter. It's okay. But her weeping turns into worship. 
If you knew exactly what Jesus did for you, you would never worship the same again. You would never take Holy Communion the same again. You won't be embarrassed by the people around you. Because your focus is on Him. Your worship will be towards Him because He is worthy and He deserves. If you understood how costly God's love is for you, everything in your life will change. You'll be more generous with your giving because you know you can't outgive God. You will spend some time and set some time apart to serve. You will start caring for the souls of those around you and bringing them to Christ. You won't be ashamed and embarrassed. You won't be hiding that you're a Christian. You won't need to find fulfillment from anybody. You won't need to go to any place to find because He fulfills you. Church, if you can just imagine as you are weeping and crying as He comes and with His nail-pierced hands hold your face as he looks at you endearingly and he says you are my child you are my son you are my daughter and I love you this lady came to Simon's table uninvited but the table of Jesus Oikos Church we are invited we are all welcomed he welcomes us with open arms he does not condemn you he covers for you He does not judge you. He justifies you. He's not angry with you. He awaits you. So for those of you who've been very distant from from our Lord Jesus, maybe it's what happened this week, this month, He's not angry with you. He's, He's awaiting for you. Come to Him. God bless you, church.